As we look at Revelation, as Sarah gave us a great launch into Revelation last week, we're looking at Revelation chapter 2, those first few verses that in our series called This Little Light of Mine, looking at a love that shines. And actually, these words from John, where he's talking about the words of the resurrected Jesus, are talking, challenging us about, do we have a love in us that shines brightly in our world? I don't know about you, but I've been uh, watching the story of Philip Schofield this week, as I think the majority of the nation has been, and uh, seeing some of the vitriol and some of the scathing critique that has come, uh, that has made him really really not even want to live anymore, as he said in his interview. That a man who two years ago, we looked, might have thought had it all, won all the awards, was living the life, suddenly the rug is pulled from under him. And tragically, he said, I can see no way back. I can see no hope. And that very same day on this morning, uh, Alison Hammond, our own Brummy, give it up for Alison, uh, known to some of us here, lovely Alison Hammond, bravely, I felt, on this morning, spoke out and said, you know, I don't know what to say. And I think most of us would probably find ourselves in that position with this story. But she said, one thing I do know is that my mum taught me, when you don't know what to do, there is a sat-nav that is the Bible. And I go to that Bible in this. And she said, in the Bible, we read, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And so she said, so that would be my mantra. That would be what I say. And I just thought, what if our media and what if our social media adopted that as a filter? You know, we know all about filters, but what if that was the filter for every report that comes out? And what if it was our filter that actually let him who is without sin cast the first stone? I thought that was beautiful. And what it spoke of was light shining in the darkness. And I think we should pray for Philip Schofield. I was almost thinking about how to write to him because it was so sad when he looked into the camera and felt there is no way back for me. A man who had it all and who thinks now that he has nothing. And as we look at these words um, in Revelation 2, we have this same sort of warning, if you like, that Ephesus, who... John is writing to on behalf of Jesus had it all it had it all going on I don't know how many of you have ever been to Ephesus there's yeah all, the, all very much on the on the right hand side there um, well I I went to Ephesus once it was a very very hot day it's a very splendid amphitheater it is huge in many ways sat on the coach with my friend Lizzie we were on a trip to Turkey and finally the the, the kind of tour guide stands up and he says um, I don't know if any of you know what Ephesus is famous for does anyone know and I was thinking was this the moment when I put my hand up and say well the Apostle Paul and he went I'll tell you Donna Summer played here live just two years ago and uh, I did have a little chat with him afterwards and said that wasn't the only reason that uh, it was famous Uh, but it's a little bit of a meeting of cultures isn't it and actually this letter to Ephesus these words of Jesus are both incredibly loving but also incredibly challenging and I thought we could actually take what, uh, what the words of Jesus has said to Ephesus and actually say, Lord, 
is this for us as Riverside today? What would he say to Riverside as he says to Ephesus? And I've just picked out five things from the passage. The first is, I'm holding you. I'm holding you and I'm walking amongst you. Jesus, these words of the resurrected Jesus that John has in this vision is saying, I'm holding on to you, Riverside. I've got you. In a time of change that we're in, in a a time when we sense we're on the edge of something new, that he's holding us, that he loves our perseverance and resilience, that he delights in that. He delights in that in you today. That he's reminding us not to forget the why, as Leon reminded us and Sarah reminded us again last week. And I think we need to keep coming back to that, the why of why we do what we do and not losing our love. And interestingly, something we talk less about that is in this passage, keep hating what Jesus hates. Do we really hate the evil that is in the world? And then finally, one day, Riverside, paradise will be restored. So burn brightly. So these are the words of Jesus in this vision from John. And it says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars and walks among the seven lanterns. That Jesus holds the church. Romans 8, 34 says that Jesus prays for the church, that he prays for us. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he lives to intercede for us. And as we invite you to come along tonight to our prayer and worship gathering, that's not just because we want a good time. It's because we believe that prayer works. And we believe that prayer isn't just information. We're not just informing Jesus what we're doing. We're inviting him into all that we're about here in Birmingham. And Jesus says he's holding us, but also he's delighted with us. So this is a good moment. So hold on for this because it gets a bit more challenging in a minute. He actually loves Riverside. He loves our activity. He loves what Joyce has shared today about the food pantry. There is so much that he loves about our activity and our doing. He's delighted with our resilience and our perseverance. And I felt that perhaps sometimes we don't always hear this. And I just wanted you to to really soak in how proud Jesus is of all you're doing in leading your community group, in serving on refreshments, in showing up, in hanging on. The fact that some of you are here today or joining us online in times of incredible trial. And Jesus says, well done, you're still here. You might feel today that you're hanging on by a thread, but Jesus just says, well done, for showing up. Well done for keeping going because there will be a day when every tear will be wiped from our eyes. And then thirdly, do not forget the why, or in fact, dare we say it, do not forget the who. Because really it's who are we doing all this for? Yet this I hold against you, Jesus says. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, Ephesus, Riverside. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, I've mulled on this a lot this week because I've been in many talks where people say, you know, repent, you've lost your first love. And I'm always the sort of person that thinks, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I think there are many of us that can feel bullied by this verse and think, oh, yes, I I don't quite love you quite the way that I once did. And of course, that is true. 
But actually, this is said with love. This is Jesus saying, I miss you. It's not a telling off. It's not Jesus wagging his finger at us and saying, Riverside, have you lost your first love? It's him saying, I miss you. I want to be the why with everything that you do. I want you to draw close to me again. That prophecy that we had last week from Linda about Jesus being the lens, the glasses through which everything that we see and do. Uh, After Leon spoke at the weekend, um, I went away and I listed all my regular activities. Sounds a bit nerdy. I'm not often nerdy, but I was nerdy that week. And I listed all the things that I'm involved with regularly. And I put the why by each one so that I knew the why. What was it that I was doing for Jesus? And interestingly, what that did when I put book club and then I put the why was getting my friends to know Jesus and sharing my love for Jesus with them. Suddenly, when I walked to my book club on Tuesday night this week, I knew exactly why I was going. Yes, it was about the book, but it was about Jesus. And actually, on that day, we went for a curry and we were sat there and they said, oh, Judy, you're a pastor. This lady's getting married for the second time. She just said, I want to know what's the most important bit of the ceremony. I want to talk to you about what it is that we're doing spiritually. And this happens time and time again in my book club. And it's something that I chose to join because I wanted to make friends with people who didn't yet know Jesus and to share my faith. And I wonder for us as Riverside, whatever it is you're involved with, maybe even this week to prayerfully say, what is the why? How does this show the love of Jesus? How does this shine the love of Jesus in our city in a bright and beautiful way? For he says, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. Um, I love Tim Keller, as I know many of us do. I know he isn't Jesus. But apparently people said uh, sometimes Riverside almost quote Tim Keller more than Jesus. But I do think that he was an amazing guy. And there was a quote from Bishop Ruth this week on Twitter that said this. The most impressive thing about Tim Keller, who died two weeks ago, was that you never came away from his presence exclaiming, isn't Tim Keller amazing? But you came away saying, isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he captivating? And she's written, there can be no greater legacy. What if people went away from our presence this week, not thinking, isn't Mark wonderful or isn't Anne wonderful? Of course, that's true. But thinking, look at Jesus. Look at what he and who he is What a legacy that might be. Because the call of this passage, and if we remember nothing else from this, is to excel in love. That we would be a church that excel in love for Christ first, and then out of that for his people. Because this challenge to Ephesus is not just about love for Jesus. He's saying you stop loving the people in the way that I want you to. That actually in all your doings, which are great, in all your enduring and your persevering, you've stopped loving the people with the love that I have. And then fourthly, keep hating what Jesus hates. 
He says, but this you have in your favor. So this is another good thing. He says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You hate false teaching. You hate corruption. And you hate the distortion of truth. And here at Riverside, you'll know over the years that we've always tried to stay faithful to the truth of the gospel, that this is our satnav, that it is our compass for everything, for our teaching and for our nurture. Have we stopped hating injustice? I wonder just now as Riverside Church, if we could just do something. I want you to just call out, don't be shy. Just call out something that you hate. We've heard about poverty today, and it might be that. We've heard about food hunger. But just call out across this body, what is it you hate? And don't want sprouts or greens or anything like that. We'll take that as a given. Um, But what about what you hate in the world? that makes you mad because there is something called divine dissatisfaction that the Holy Spirit puts in us, not just to make us angry, but to make us do something, to make us shine more brightly with a love. So let's just call them out. Let's just see from different people. Deception, hypocrisy, unkindness. Yeah, we've seen that a lot this week. Injustice. Racism, great. War, child neglect, thank you, George. False information. Yeah, Lord, we've, we've named some of the things that we hate. Help us hate what is evil and cling to what is good. There will be a fire in all of our hearts against injustice. Would you burn brightly? in us this week. Would you burn with love that replaces that hatred? Help us to love even those who are involved in instigating some of these injustices and help us bring about what is good. Amen. We're going to hear, um, as part of this talk, from Addo at the moment, our head of operations. Um, I love Addo's story. We couldn't show the whole story, but um, it's been brilliantly edited by our team. So this is Addo's story about how this love of Jesus, this saving love of Jesus, found him. My name is Ado uh, from Zimbabwe and uh, I used to have this recurring dream of just um, I would go into this, I would literally had a desire to go into this dark curve uh, and at other times it would be like a camp, like we're at a campsite or something and I would, I would feel very uncomfortable, I, it, it was very tangible, I could, it, was, it wasn't comfortable, it wasn't great, I could sense that it was dark. And this man would come, literally grab my hands and uh, take me out to a campsite that was light and full of light. Um, and this happened, this, this dream has happened quite a few times. I just, it's been recurring and it's been the same. And I'd, even when he takes me out, uh, I find myself going back there and he would again come and take me out. Um, I didn't know why. I did not ask him to take me out, um, but I just remember him taking me out. And that, those days, I didn't even know what it meant or who it was. Uh, uh, but just 
as a finishing off of those dreams in later in my teenage years when I'd realize about this man called Jesus, I literally said, Jesus, I don't want to go back to the dark places. I want to stay in the light. And that was when those dreams kind of came to an end. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad has been a pastor for a long time um, and served as a in, in the local church. And I remember that growing up in these poor townships, um, we always, and my, my dad worked really hard. So it was always like any time that we could advance to a greener pasture per se, we would always do that. So I moved a lot. Uh, and just to give you a, an idea of how a lot we moved, by the time I was in year seven, I had attended eight schools. Uh, and they did not stop there, but that's just a glimpse of how often we moved. And this moving to greener pastures uh, per se led us to a community in um, in South Africa uh, where my dad had an opportunity. It was a Christian community and it seemed like my dad had an opportunity as someone who was a pastor who loved serving God, had an opportunity to, to do that even on a bigger level. So this seemed like green pastures except it wasn't um yeah it was a very dark place again um it was a place of hurt um a place that had me questioning actually about this jesus like actually who is this jesus why do we even follow him um it was a place that separated children from parents um and just to briefly give you a glimpse of of something that happened. For example, I did not they, I did not finish high school uh, because this place uh, advised or told me that uh, a servant of God did not need to go to school, did not need to finish school because God has caused us to be servants of Him and you know do great work for God. For lack of better words, uh, I think in fact this place turned out to be a cult, um, and so again. It was almost like this continual place of always be finding ourselves in a dark place. And again, like always, God did come and rescue me. Uh, I ended up um, at a different community still in South Africa. Very, very different. Breath of fresh air. Uh, and with people who also still served Jesus. Uh, and but we're so different from this place I was. So my walk with Jesus or my understanding of Jesus, for me it was, church was an ancient activity that somehow people did. Uh, and, um, and, and, and Christianity was something that sometimes people used to control people. That's, that was my experience and what I knew. And then when I had moved to this new place, honestly, these people just loved me and it was, I think I was around 19 when I started realizing that this Jesus, is, there was an actual man who came as God to, to save the world. And that's, that's why we are Christians. So yeah, it's, I just, I grew up in church, didn't know about this. Um, and one of the things that this place did to me was they made me feel like I was unique and special. Uh, and I cannot tell you what that did to my life. Um, growing up, again in Zim, uh, 
I never knew that, you know, someone like me could have dreams, could have passions, uh, could achieve anything. In fact, I was told uh, by two leaders that I actually looked up to that my life would never amount to anything. Uh, that's one I was told that and I, I believed it then. So in, in a very quick one, I grew up poor. I grew up uh, thinking I could never achieve anything. I got caught up in this dark place. God rescued me. Uh, and all this led me to being here right now. And that journey from that point onwards to here has been absolutely amazing. But then we serve a God who's not, um, who's not limited by circumstance. We serve a God who you know he's not limited by by where we come from the the things that surround us the limitations that we have uh and i can i cannot boast absolutely in anything else i have seen his faithfulness i have seen his goodness uh and like i said in the very very beginning i've seen how he has come into my darkness where i'd actually never searched for him i've actually never asked him to and he came into my darkness and he rescued me. And, and that's my testimony. God rescued me from darkness. And, and, you know, I shouldn't be here, but I have nothing to Boston but Jesus Christ. Amazing. Ado, we love you and you are an example to us of your life as amounted to so much. Let's give Ado a huge round of applause for sharing that. It's beautiful. And I've been affected since I heard uh, Addo shared that story with me a while ago about the figure that kept coming into the cave and bringing him out into the light. And that when Addo encountered Jesus, he realized that's who it was, that his light was always seeking him out, bringing him out of the cave, bringing us out of the grave, if you like, as well. And also, I loved what Addo said, that what was spoken over him has proved false. And I just felt as we, as we look at the active work of the Holy Spirit, if there is stuff that has been spoken over you that you're still hanging on to, that still limits you, that still is a word in your head that says you'll never be any good, you'll never be as good as your brother, your sister, all of those things, Addo's testimony is an example that actually never limit what God is able to do, never limit the transforming power of Jesus. And finally, at the end of this passage in these seven verses, we see paradise restored. We see as Jesus paints this vision, we see a new tree, a new kingdom built and restored. And I think it's interesting uh, when Jesus says that, that we will eat again from the tree. He says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the ability to eat from the tree of life. And uh, if you think of what goes wrong in Genesis 1, where it all goes wrong and sin comes into the world and the paradise garden is ruined, you could say the Bible is a book bookended between two gardens. The garden where sin comes in and the final victorious garden where sin is no more, where all the injustices that we have shouted out about and the ones that burn in our heart are eradicated 
And it's interesting that in the great temple in Ephesus, there's great local knowledge that Jesus' words speak here. The great temple of Artemides had a garden that had a wonderful big tree in it. So when he's writing to Ephesus, there was this tree that they all knew. It was on their local coins. There was a tree that they all knew. And they also would have known that if you got within a certain distance of this tree and you were a criminal, you were released. You were set free. And Jesus' words here are deliberately saying, come to the tree of life and you'll be set free. That we are all criminals, actually. We're all sinners, desperate for this saving love, repenting again and again out of love, coming close to this paradise garden, holding on to it. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from this tree once again. There is total redemption and restoration. And just before we come to a close, um, when I first joined Riverside, I think it was in Bradford, but I may be wrong. Some of you might know where it came from. Somebody had a prophecy and a vision, much like this one that John has, of Revelation 21 and what their city would look like when the kingdom restoration starts to break out. And we here at Riverside, it must have been about 14 or 15 years ago, wrote our own one about Birmingham, Revelation 21. I won't read the whole thing, but I can give it to you if you want. But one of the things that we looked at was this. I looked across community of South Birmingham and I saw a community of hope. I saw a community ruled by grace. I saw a community of love. And in the cleanness of the morning, I looked out and there was no more asthma. There was no more unwanted children, no more debt, no more violence, no more overcrowding. And nobody was too busy. The canals flowed with crystal clear water. There were no needles or condoms in the park. There were no more stories of sorrow or family breakdown. No more poverty. No more unemployment. No mind-numbing jobs. No hopelessness. No more sadness. No more tears. Only joy and laughter. The dividing walls were gone. Families and neighbours were restored. There were no racial tensions, just one beautiful, harmonious mix in Technicolor. And we went on and on, and I got the full version. But it was just a picture of what this kingdom renewal can look like here in our city. And we're going to respond in a moment, thinking of this letter to Riverside. We know it was written for Ephesus, and we know it's fairly short. Steve Botham said earlier on, it's more of a WhatsApp message, isn't it, than a letter to the Ephesian church. But this is for us as Riverside, going back to those things that we said at the beginning. He holds us. He's walking amongst Riverside. He's walking among the chairs even here by his spirit. He's proud of us. He's proud of all our resilience, going through a pandemic, hanging on, hanging on when we don't quite know what's going to look like, holding on, saying we look to you. He loves that. But he also says, Riverside Church, you individually, have you lost your first love? Have I lost it? Have you lost it? Put our name in there, not in a condemnatory way, but in a I miss you, draw closer, come closer. Remember the why of why we're here. Remember who it is that we're serving, who it is that we love, and the city that he's called us to love. And actually hate what he hates. Keep hating. Keep repulsed. I think sometimes there's an anesthetic that happens when we stop being shocked by evil. And actually the Lord would say to us, don't let evil become commonplace in your life. Keep the offense of the Holy Spirit. And finally, hold on because paradise is ahead. 
but it's available to us now in the revelation of what Jesus wants to do in our city through us. In that picture of what Birmingham could look like if we keep on burning brightly. Uh, I'm a big Coldplay fan. I know some of you have just been to Coldplay and Crocker. Maybe others, Chris Crocker. Uh, maybe others. But uh, I went years ago and uh, we uh, were given those armbands that you hold up and burns brightly. Only I went with Rachel Puddifat and us didn't burn at all. We were about the only people in the stadium who didn't light up and we were very worried. And then halfway through they did. But we've got some torches here for you to take away and they're little torches and I've tested every single one so I really hope and pray no one gets a dud um, and these are to put on your keys uh, they're a key ring and for us to say as Riverside we want to burn brightly in our city out of love for Jesus first and foremost that whenever perhaps we're getting home late we put that light on to help us put the key in the lock or whatever it is that we remember our first love that is Jesus that he is the reason why we exist he's the reason why we do all of the things that we do at Riverside and all of the things that we do as individuals as I process with him this week and that challenges to burn brighter because of his love for us, because he drew us like Addo out of that cave of our own sin, out of that cave of despair, into that place of love. Addo spoke about the love he found, the corruption of the cult, and then the love, the truth that set him free. 